One with himself, I cannot die. My soul is purchased with his blood. My life is hid with Christ on high, with Christ my Savior and my God. Thanks be to God for who he is, for what he has done for us as his people. Ephesians chapter 3, if you will take your copy of God's Word and turn to that. you ever been in a group where uh, you, the group had already been established and you came and you joined that group, always a, usually a hard thing, and yet you always felt like you were treated like a, a late adopter, a latecomer, awkward feeling. I... Before I, I came here in 06, I had pastored in Atlanta for 18 years, and before that I was in a, a church in uh, a small town. After I had been there for a while, I, I was talking with my secretary, and she said, uh, you know, I, I usually or often feel like an outsider here in this town. And I said, really? Because I, I was kind of insulated from that because I had a church that had asked me to come, and so people are going to welcome me and so on. And I said, well, how, how long have you lived here? And she said, 20 years. But she still heard comments like, well, she's not from around here. Now, how awkward is that? How difficult is that when, if you're... If you're that, that person, well, we're going to continue to look at what Paul was addressing between the Jews and the Gentiles, because that there is that. You had the ones that were there and established in their minds, the Jews, and then the latecomers the Gentiles. And what can happen in those kind of group dynamics is that there can be a jealousy of the latecomer or a jealousy of the one who was there first or a competitiveness or a resentment. Well, you haven't been here all along. And all of that and more was taking place within the church between people who were just like I read, who were one with Christ because of what he did on the cross, Jew and Gentile. And so Paul continues to address this. Now, this is, you know, our, our third message where we've looked at this to some degree, but understand that there weren't that div those divisions He's just continuing to address that which he began, but it obviously was a big thing. And this, in this passage, he, uh, in chapter 3, he begins with, for this reason. And whenever you see that kind of a connector, you've got to say, okay, what, 
what's it referring back to? And we know the background of the difficulties of the believers in Ephesus. They had enough difficulties coming from the outside, much less now difficulties between those within the church. Let's uh, give our attention to God's Word in chapter 3. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, (coughs) how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, will you show us today from your word what it is to live like the new community? Not the natural community, but the new one that is based upon those who have new life in Jesus Christ. Will you just impress it upon us and then give us hearts that are open to you? And we ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. We, we, have to, we have to look at what Paul says here uh, when he talks about his calling. He's going to do that several times from between here and, and the end of this book. But if you notice in that first verse where he says, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you uh, Gentiles. Now, this is not a point. It's a, it's a side point. But... Think about it. If you were going to devise a strategy, how are we going to uh, get the gospel to these Gentiles? I don't know how you would, but I think my strategy would have been, let me find a Gentile convert who can reach out to, to people just like him. You know, the... The, the unit where we can understand one another, where we can automatically relate. I think that probably uh, would have been, as I sat down and figured out what kind of strategy to reach these Gentiles, guess what? God did the opposite of what I would have done. He instead chose a, a 
Jewish Pharisee who was highly trained among the Jews, was respected by the Jews. He was so zealous for Judaism that he persecuted Christians. And yet, he was the very one that God saw fit to reach the Gentiles. Now, now that I know that, it, it makes a lot of sense. Because had, had they gone my route, here's what I think probably would have happened. There would have ended up being a, a Gentile Protestant church and a, a Jewish Pro, a Protestant church, and they never would have gotten together. But instead, the Jews, when they heard from, from the Apostle Paul, they heard from one of them, and they were the ones that needed to accept the Gentiles, and vice versa. And so that, ju that just tells me God's ways are always better than my ways. His timing is always just right. But notice what Paul uh, calls himself here. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you. Now, I think there's at least a couple of aspects in terms of him being a prisoner. He was literally a prisoner. He was uh, writing this from prison. Uh, we read in Philippians chapter 1, and by the way, when, when we went through the book of Acts, we saw in Acts 21 why he was in prison. But in Philippians 1.12, he said, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. When he's saying what has happened to me, he's saying being here in prison has served to advance the gospel. He wrote from his prison cell in Rome. He could have accurately described himself as, I, Paul, a prisoner of Rome, or I, Paul a prisoner of Nero, he would have been exactly accurate. He doesn't bother with that. He says, look, I, here's who I'm a prisoner, and that's Christ Jesus. He was not a victim of circumstances. He was not a victim of an unjust government a cruel emperor who hated Christians or anything else. He didn't see himself as that. And he could have. Without people saying, oh, you're just a big whiner, they would have said, yeah, you really, you really are. That's, that's the problem, isn't it? But he was convinced that he was, only, he was a prisoner for one reason and one reason only. Because his being a prisoner was in the divine, perfect plan of his God, the Lord Jesus Christ. He was convinced of it. That's how he was able to be content in all circumstances, joyful and at peace. Now let me ask you this. What difference would it make in 
your life and your contentment and your joy if you handled all of your circumstances understanding what Paul understood there. Let me give you some examples. Say you work for a company for a living and you have a boss or several bosses that are above you. If you identify yourself as I, uh, you know, my job is to work for this company or my job is to work for this boss or these two bosses or something like that, that's one way and it's perfectly accurate to describe yourself that way. But what difference would it make if instead of that, it'd be odd to describe it this way to everybody, but instead of that, your attitude was, I am an employee of Christ Jesus. Would that make a difference? In other words, anything that goes on here is under the divine, perfect plan of Jesus Christ. I'm convinced that would make a difference in in our performance, in our contentment, in our uh, joy, in the excellence we do our job with. Because, you know, bosses, they come and go and they're good or bad. Some of you might might think that, uh, you know, I I love this boss, so I'm going to really do a great job for him, or vice versa. I really don't like this boss, or I want to get out from under him or around him or whatever. What if you were an employee of Christ Jesus? Let's say you have a physical ailment. And you, you, maybe it's something that is under treatment or maybe it's something that can't be treated. What difference would it make if your attitude was, I am a patient of Christ Jesus? Anything that takes place in my life is under the good and perfect divine hand and within the plan of Christ Jesus. Would that make a difference? You students, whether you're elementary or middle school or high school or or college, you're under a, a teacher or a professor or maybe many teachers. Some of your teachers you're gonna love and some of them you aren't gonna love as much. What difference would it make if instead of saying in your mind, that's my teacher, I'm going to do good for her or him, if you said I am a student of the Lord Jesus Christ? What I do here is before him, and it's in his perfect divine plan for me. I'm convinced those would make a difference. It did in Paul's life where he was in these circumstances of being in prison and instead of him whining about it and saying, I could do so much more when I'm out, he was able to say, this is for the advancement of the gospel. And I promise you, when he went in, he didn't know how that would happen, but he knew that the only reason he sat in that prison cell was because his Savior wanted him there. He then talks about being a steward. 
Verse 2, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, or the administration of God's grace. You see what Paul's understanding is here? Whatever was given to him was not for him to sit on or to keep to himself, but everything that was given to him was in order to to pass it on. I had um, somebody say recently, you know what, I learn something every Sunday here. Now, that that was nice to hear. Now, you may say, well... Good for that person, you know. Uh, or you may say, yeah, I learned something every Sunday. Or I learned something uh, once in a while here or, or whatever. You know, what, however that strikes you. But here, here's what I'd encourage you to do. That any time you think of yourself as learning something, don't, don't let it stop with that. That's great. I'm, I'm taking that in. Instead, do this as a steward. Whenever you learn something, ask yourself, who can I pass this on to? You see, that's, that's the nature of discipleship. It's one receiving and passing it on to another. And that's what we're about here, is discipleship. So, a steward, a rightful steward, is one who's going to receive and then not just sit on it, but pass it on to another. So it's, God, you taught me this, this Sunday. Who is it this week that you want me to pass this on to? And then be a steward in that sense. Now let's take a look at uh, the mystery that he talks about. Paul uses the, uh, the word mystery. Now, I, I like to read mysteries. Um, one of my favorite series, uh, mystery series, was uh, a series by Harry Kimmelman, and it's ab- about a rabbi. Big surprise, right? You know, I've, oh yeah, he's going to like something about another clergyman, you know. And what, what's funny to me, though, is that he, evidently, he's a typical clergyman because like, like the Father Brown mysteries, murders happen all around him, you know. There's always a murder happening around this particular rabbi. What I like about him is that you can, uh, uh, he, the way he figures out, uh, solves the mystery is through his rabbinical thinking. And so it's very interesting to me, and I, I've learned things about uh, the, the Jewish mind and so on. Well, there's a couple kinds of mysteries. Uh, and if you read mysteries, you know this. There's one kind that is fun to read that, you know, you, you go through this whole story and then at the end there's a big twist and, and it goes a total different direction. Those are fun to read. But my favorite kind are the ones that if you're perceptive enough, you'll pick up clues along the way. Now, there still may be twists and turns if it's a good mystery, but there are clues. Now, Paul uses the term mystery. We need to understand it's actually different than we usually think of mystery in our day. In our day, mystery is something that can't be known. It's a secret. 
And in his day, some of the religions looked at it that way. The way Paul uses it is that it is of something that wasn't known before Christ, but since Christ is fully known. Paul uses the term mystery 20 times in his writings. He's already used it here in Ephesians. So the idea is that, look, we we are not one of those mystery religions, but instead we are the revealed religion. So he had previously referred to it already in Ephesians, Ephesians 1.9, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ. In chapter 2, verse 19, so then you're no longer strangers and aliens. This is the, this is the mystery. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And then he goes on to talk about how that which was hidden in the past is now revealed. Verse 5 of chapter 3. That which was uh, not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. And then verse 9. And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Now, what we see in in this verse here, really, is a hint toward what in theology we call progressive revelation. We believe that, uh, you know, the, the truths of God are revealed progressively throughout the Scripture. There aren't new truths. We, we, we believe the canon is closed, that, you know, he's, he's revealed that which we need to know in the Word of God. But let me give you an example of progressive revelation. Uh, in the New Testament we see uh, a good bit about the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We see them, them named in the Great Commission, for instance. Uh, we, we see them all present, basically, at the baptism of Jesus. So, so we're learning more about the Trinity and how they interact, Father, Son, and Spirit. But the question is, where is that in the Old Testament? Well, it begins to be revealed clear back in Genesis when man was being created and someone says, let us make man in our image. Now, if that's all you had, if all you had was what it says in Genesis, we'd say, I don't know what that means. Who's the us? Who's, who is our image? Because you can't tell. So it's, it begins to be revealed there. But then we have what's revealed in the New Testament and we see the Trinity and we look back at Genesis and we say, okay, that's who the us are. The Trinity was beginning to be revealed clear back in the beginning. Well, that's, that's what Paul is talking about, how how these, these mysteries and the plan is unfolded, and in Christ Jesus, it's made known. So that that was hidden in the past 
is now revealed. And, you know, again, the application. God tells us what we need to know when we need to know it and in the context when we can handle it. If we don't know it, if he has uh, not revealed it, then it's not necessary for us in terms of salvation or to live for him. Now he goes on to explain the mystery, verse 6. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now, this can best be explained with the word together. Uh, What Paul is going to do here is he's going to use three composite words in the original language. And they all start with sin, not S-I-N, S-Y-N, okay, which, which is the together part. And uh, he, think about when God says something. You know, anytime God doesn't have to repeat himself for something to be important. If he says something once, it's important. But if something's repeated twice, that's it. That's, you know, okay, we need to really pay attention to this. But if something's repeated three times, think, think to Isaiah, the nature of God. Holy, holy, holy. Well, what's that telling us? We should, we should recognize that that's his nature and, and that's for us to, to know about him. Well, here he uses basically the word together three times in these composite words. The first one would be heirs together. And he's saying, remember, he's saying Jew and and Gentile, you who are in the same church, you are heirs together in this. Romans 8, 17. If we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And Paul is saying this. Look, you Jews understand this. You Gentiles understand this. Everything that Christ is entitled to, you are entitled to. So they are heirs together. And then members together. Now, that combination of words is not used anywhere else. And so... Most commentators and and linguists say they think that Paul just made up that word. But but it makes sense when he puts members together. He's saying, you Jew and you Gentile, you are members together. And then the third one is partakers of the promise together. Now, understand how radical this is. He's talking about the covenant promises who were those given to? Israel. The covenant promises are given to Israel. And so now here come these latecomers, these Gentiles, and Paul, a son of Israel, right? A Jew, says, you know what? They are partakers of the promise every bit as much as we are. In essence, 
they are sons of Abraham every bit as much as we are. Do you see why there was some, could be some resentment? And yet he's saying there must, must not be because of what you're entitled to. You know how people um, joke about neighboring states? You know how that, that works? Uh, when, when I was in Pennsylvania, people made jokes about West Virginians. And when I was in Georgia, they made jokes about people from Alabama. And people in Alabama make jokes about people in Mississippi. Why is that? Because our default, our nature, is to look down on somebody, right? You're going to look down on somebody. It may be another school. We won't get into that. (laughs) It may be another state. But the tendency is to look down on others. That must not be the case in the new community. That's the natural way to go. It's not the supernatural way. That must be the difference between the world we live in and the church, the new community. In the new community, there are not first and second class citizens. There's not the in crowd. Remember when you were in school? You were in the in crowd or you weren't in the in crowd. And if you weren't in the in crowd, remember how painful that could be? Or what resentment there could be between? In the new community, in the church, there is not that. I'm not saying it doesn't exist, but it must not. Because before the throne of God, we stand on the same ground. Jew and Gentile. Every kind of person. Paul's message is, we are together. In 2002, in western Pennsylvania, uh, there was a, a mining accident, underground mines. Now, I, whenever that kind of thing, because I ministered in western Pennsylvania, I wasn't there at that time, but I pay attention to it. The mine began to flood. Now, I've been in an underground mine. I can't think of anything scarier than that. Uh, we had guys in the church that I served in that all they did, they were pumpers. And that's all they did was pump water out of the mines. But sometimes they will hit water and they can't get ahead of it. That's what happened here. And uh, a group of them, nine of them, were cut off from the outside. Couldn't communicate. Nobody knew what was going on. They were cut off and ultimately found 77 hours later. They were alive. When that happened, 
uh, all over that part of the country, you know, gas stations had signs that, that said, nine alive, prayers answered, and there were signs on the highway and that kind of a thing. Well, it was amazing that, that they were found and they were found alive, but what was even more amazing was when they found out what happened to them in there. Of course, they ran for some higher ground to try to be safe, but it, the water continued to go up. But once they got to that ground, they shared everything. If one had a sandwich, they all took a little piece of it. One had a soda. They all took a little bit of it. They would take turns. Those that were in the water would take turns uh, and get up on the dry for a little while and then get back in the water and someone else would get up there. They shared in everything. And then the other thing they did was that they, all nine of them, tied themselves together so that one of them wouldn't go unconscious and, and float away. What they were saying by doing that was this. We're, we're going to live or we're going to die together. 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 That's the calling of the church. By God's grace, to share everything that we have in Christ with others that he died for. To tie ourselves to others, not just those that, that we like, but also to the EGRs. I've told you about EGRs. I use it with my staff. Those are the extra grace required people. Now look, don't bother to ask me if you're an EGR after church. Because if you ask me, am I an EGR, I will say, of course you are. But it's tying ourselves to those that we can naturally love and those that we need extra grace. And understand, they may need extra grace to love us as well. To tie ourselves together even though it may drain us, it may be difficult for us, it may even harm us to do so, that's the new community. And when we do that, it will stun the watching world. There will only be one explanation that we are heirs together in Christ Jesus. Let's bow together. Thank you, Lord, for, <clears throat> for the calling of Paul and for our calling, for how he saw himself as as a prisoner of Christ Jesus. And, and you have callings on our life, even right now, whatever we're going through, it's, it's, it's a part of your divine, perfect, good, and right plan 
And it may be hard. It may be like being in prison. But you are our Father who, who loves us more than we could ever imagine. Will you help us to tie ourselves to those around us? Never, ever to see anyone as, as less than ourselves. But instead, in all things, to understand that we are together. Because of what Christ has done, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.